Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today, we're fortunate. We have a guest with us, Chris Kappas, who is from uh, the Illinois area near Chicago, right, Chris? Yep, yep, Chicagoland. Awesome. And, and Chris is a longtime veteran of the trade show and display industry, and he's got, he has a new business of his own that he's going to talk to us about. But Chris, I wanted to just ask you a little bit about your background. Can you tell us a bit about uh, how you got into the world of trade shows? <laughs> I, I, like to, I like to say that I'm an exhibitionist, you know. Um, <laughs> well, in, in truth, you know, if you ask anybody that's been in our industry for a while how they got into the business, it's really serendipitous. It, it, it's really, it's not, a, it's not an industry that, you know, and I was a public relations guy, went to school as a journalist, that, you know, you say, I'm going to go in the trade show world. You know what? If you find probably a page or two in any marketing book about exhibitions, it, it might be, you might be surprised that, that there aren't that many. Yet, 40% of most budgets for corporations go into exhibiting. And you're so, talking about B2B typically. Yeah, B2B, yeah exactly. Yeah. Business to business. Um, and that, that's why the word trade is in front of shows because it's, it's business to business, right? It's not a consumer show. Um, but in short, you know, I started out in the PR, for, PR field. I was in the agency world. And, and candidly, um, you know, when you start out as a very junior account exec, they give you not the most glamorous things to write about. So I had the fortune, maybe not, of writing about styrofoam brand installation and, how, and their application for chicken coops. So imagine a newly minted a journalist going out into Arkansas, uh, you know, dressed not appropriately in a suit and tie, and I'm walking in a chicken coop, and the farmer looks at me and says, what the hell are you doing? You know, he's looking at me, and I, he gets me footies to walk into the chicken coop. Because lo and behold, styrofoam, if you apply it on the walls of a chicken coop, it, it maintains a temperature, and that's important for, for chickens. You know, who would have thought, right? Or another situation, I'm writing about uh, cold temperature. And, you know, the importance of styrofoam. So I'm in New Orleans, again, dressed inappropriately. And I'm in a, in a meatpacking plant. And I'm freaking freaking my butt off, taking shots of styrofoam on the walls. Or fast forward, I'm in Phoenix on top of a, you know, in the middle of summer. Uh, I don't think I changed my clothes those any of those trips. Anyway, uh, top of a building, uh, sweating like mad. And, you know, again, keeping a building regulated with temperature. So long way of saying... It was a glamorous side of my life. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, got to see some glamorous places. And, and, and frankly, um, you know, it was probably that experience that taught me that, you know, I, I, I don't want to learn more about chicken coops or styrofoam. Uh, I, I do like, you know, writing. But I wasn't as proficient and fast a writer as, as, you know, most journalists are. So I fell into the business. And I worked for, I, I had the good fortune working for who was really a pioneer in the space. Uh, his name was Fred Kitzing and, and his wife, Lene. And he, he fathered the term trade show marketing. And he was the first true trade show marketing agency at a time when exhibits were testimonies of, of corporate ego. You'd build a big exhibit because you're a big company and you wanted to show how strong you are, right? Mm. Well, his philosophy was, if you had a, a, he tells a story, 
that there's a, a, I don't know if you're familiar with the Foley food mill. It's a little machine that you, you put uh, vegetables in and you twist it, you turn it and the vegetables go down in it. So he, I, he, I've seen these. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I share, I share this little analogy that, okay, here we have these testimonies for corporate ego and you have a little guy walking in with a briefcase, sets it up on a card table and he's, he's doing uh, carrot curls or, or whatever he's making. And, and guess what? Where do all the people go? Do they go to the big exhibit? No, they go to the, they go to the guy that's demonstrating. They go to the show. They, they go to, to what you know, they, they go. They want to, they, they're there to see what's new. Yeah. So his point was, look, an exhibit is a machine for selling. And, and so that philosophy borne out this idea of trade show marketing that you've got to prepare your staff. You've got to be, you have to have, have you have to have a strategic uh, approach to how you exhibit. Um, you need to have a live, live presentation of some type that tells the value proposition of the product or service and the exhibit really strange, sounds strange to say, because we did design and build exhibits was secondary to everything else you did. And the irony is that while that, 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 it's still true today, but believe it or not, in most, if you look at the spend that I mentioned earlier, about 40% of the spend is in trade is, is related to exhibits or, or exhibitions. Only 1% of that spend goes into staff preparation. The other 99% goes into the exhibit, how it looks, setting it up, the operational side of it, sending your staff in and guess what happens? The 1% affects the 99%. It's bass backwards. Yeah. So anyway, I fell into it and I've become an evangelist around this idea that, look, there's no, particularly in a time of technology where we're, look what we're doing, right? That's, that's where the world's going. But yet, when you're buying capital equipment, corporate jet, uh, tractor trailers, um, you, you name, there's, there's 10,000 shows in North America alone and, and Canada, right? You don't buy things like that via the internet. No. You have to meet. You, you want to go see them, and you want you to talk to, go, to somebody. Yeah, you have to go face to face. You know, it's it's still a face to face environment. And well, so, anyway, that's that's how I got into the business. Well, Chris, it's it's funny because uh, earlier today, just in getting prepared for us, I, I did a quick Google search, and I found this really cool list of things. And it's from a UK website, but I'm sure the numbers are almost the same for North America. Um, one of the key points it says here is that 81 percent of trade show attendees have buying authority. No doubt. Yeah. You know, so, so these are decision makers who are going, like you said, they're, they're involved in that capital equipment decision make, you know, or sourcing, purchasing, what have you. And they yep. want to go out and talk to these people. Yeah, exactly. Well, here, here, think, think of it. I'm going to shift a little bit and, and pivot and, and, and help. You know, I know, uh, you know, your, your listeners are a lot of entrepreneurs who have businesses and they're, and they're spending money on shows or they're evaluating and they're, you know, they're going through this, this mental, mental math of, you know, does it make sense to go or doesn't it make sense? And the math has got to work. But think of it this way. If I'm an exhibitor, where, where else in the marketing mix do people come to you? Mm. So think in terms of if I'm working in an exhibit, you should be able, when people come to you, a really active and smart qualifier, a person in the space, should be able to qualify three to five people an hour. How long does it take a salesperson to field to how many people in the field can, can make those numbers on a daily basis? So the math, if you start to look, look at the math, that's where trade shows really, really start to pay off. But it is a math exercise. You know, there's so many people that complain about shows, largely because they're unprepared, ill-prepared, and they haven't prepared, you know, their, their staff's not ready. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because on the same website that I, that I just looked up here earlier today, it was talking about preparation and it, it says that 28% of exhibitors start planning one to two months before the show, 22%, two to four months, and 18%, only, only one in five, actually start looking at it four to six months in advance. Right. And, and, and those are the guys who probably benefit the most. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. You know, um, I, like, I, I, I think if, if, if everyone could think of a trade show as, um, you know, writing a book, you know, everyone focuses on the cover of the book. That is the exhibit. They forget about, they often overlook the strategy, the writing, the, the content that goes into the cover. So you can have a great cover, but if the content isn't any good, guess what? People open it and they, and it's like they walk, they look, the exhibit looks good, but what's the story? What, what does it mean to me? So the answer, the question that we have to answer always is why would I stop? What is in it for me? Now, the interesting thing is uh, 86% of most people that go to trade shows have, have something very serious that they're looking for. They're shopping. You know, they want us to have their issue solved now. You know, well, there's, there, there's a commitment there, isn't there? You know, yeah, there is. You talk about skin in the game uh, for the people who are exhibiting, but if, if me and maybe a couple of people from my company are traveling, spending time in hotels, we bought tickets to the show, we have hotels, we have meal expenses, we have travel expenses. We're investing a lot of money to go to learn who to spend more money with. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Where, that ha- else is, where else does that happen? Right? So, so, you know, when you look at there's 10,000 shows in North America, but here's the reality. Attendance is flat. You know, the trade show marketing budgets are flat, have been for a decade. So there's a bit of a disconnect from, you know, optimization of the medium you know mm-hmm. and and so you know that that is you know why why i launched the business we'll talk about that later but the reality is that the industry is going through a deflection point right now and as an evangelist of the industry and and i appreciate you having me on the program is to help entrepreneurs optimize the investments they're making at the trade show and and the bottom line is if the math doesn't work you shouldn't go yeah yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this. If, if somebody had a business and they sold to other businesses and they were not going to trade shows, what would be sort of an entry level strategy for someone who wants to, to make a smart first move? I would never go into a show without having walked it first. Mm. So the first thing you should do is if, if, if you are evaluating shows, go as an attendee, approach some of the exhibitors, ask them their impression. You know, how you feel about the show, how show management, what's the cost, you know, do your due diligence in advance of so that you're that much further ahead when you contemplate making that strategic decision. So then it could really be a year out then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in most cases, the the way, the way the shows work in general is if you're an exhibitor, you have preferential treatment based upon longevity of being an exhibitor. So when there's a space draw, which occurs at the end of, end of uh, the show, if you will, the top exhibitors who have been there the longest have the first choice of the floor. They can pick what spaces they want. So as a new newbie, you're going to get the drags in a lot of cases. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to, that's even more important than you have to do your homework in advance, because if you're going to be on the perimeter in the back, you know, then you better figure out a strategy to get people to come see you there. Right. So that's where, you know, and think about it this way, shows are built in 10 foot increments. They're think of them as cubes. That, that's what they're selling spaces, these 10 foot blocks. 
That's because they want to, that's because they want to build the show around most of the exhibitors are 10 by 10, 10 by 20 spaces. Everyone focuses on the big guys, but it's the little guys that are driving the revenue for the show organizer. Right. <laughs> so they're paying the highest pot cost per square foot. Absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say always walk the show first and do your homework. Okay. And you know what, um, you know, I, some of the other things that I've saw on this website, they're, they're just, they're just fueling yeah. what you've already said, like 92% of trade show attendees say their main reason for attending the show is to see a new project being product being featured. Yep. Um, 64% of trade show attendees are not customers of the exhibitors companies. Right. That, that's, that's interesting to me. So, so the people that are attending the trade show that we know that they're ready to buy, they made an investment to go and to find suppliers. Would you say that some of the attendance is driven because of a dissatisfaction with their current suppliers, maybe? They're, yeah. they're trying to see who's out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the soft science of trade shows and the hard science. The hard science are their numbers. Soft science are, you know, you're there to see what's new. You're there to see your peers. You're there to network. In the medical field, 50% of shows are medical. You're there to get credits as a doctor, to get right. to practice medicine. You're there to, to meet press. You're there for new product announcements. I mean, look, case in point, look at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. That show is 150,000 people come to Vegas. And guess what? No one buys anything. Now you say, Chris, how can that be? Well, there, everyone is there. And it's true with a lot of industries where there's a consolidated buying base. So it used to be, take a look at the hardware show, it used to be hardware store owner operators every corner. Guess what? There's like 10, 15 buying groups now in the hardware industry. Same is true. Yeah. On, they're, all, they're all affiliated with certain brands. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you would, so so most business people would say, well, why in the world would you spend that kind of money to appeal to fifteen buyers? Well, the reality is, you wouldn't. There has to be an umbrella opportunity, and that umbrella opportunity is media. So if you, so in the case of Consumer Electronics Show, people go there, and now they've opened up to consumers to see what's new. The, you know, the new gadgets. You know, whatever that gadget is, and they're going to see the keynotes whether it's Bill Gates speaking or whether it's uh, uh, Zuckerberg speaking or whoever, right? That is an opportunity to gain media that you otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to do. So that's the soft, soft side of shows that, that frankly, is, is you know, given consolidation and what's occurring. That's where things seem to be evolving a little bit. Because look, buying trade shows, you know, very few industries are actual buying decisions being made. It fits into the sales strategy it helps accelerate the cycle but in my my uh legacy in the industry very few orders are actually taken mm. you know and part of that is because oftentimes the shows aren't in sync with the buying cycle like for example right. take take look at again it's because we're trying to show shows in in january that's not when the retailers buy the christmas season's already over so they're looking at things that occur that now five or six months down the road i mean they're, they're you know what i mean so because of the size of the industry, you can't always put your show right into the sweet spot of when people are buying. You have, you have you know, a, a slot that you need to fit. So, so there has to be a value proposition built around when it occurs. And so there's a lot of, a lot of that strategy that show organizers are trying to figure out, how do I make my, my show even more important during well, an off-season? You, you know, you talk about the cost of a show versus the cost of going out into the field as a traveling salesperson trying to yep. knock on doors and meet people. And I, I, I know quite a few people that are involved in business to business sales and, and they do use trade shows. And, and I know that they spend months in advance of those trade shows 
sending letters and postcards and emails and phone calls and LinkedIn messages and everything to people that they are trying to meet that they haven't been able to touch base with to let them know, I'm going to be at our industry show. Here's our, where our booth is going to be. And this is what we're going to have. And I'd love to meet you just to avoid having to go out and visit all those people, yeah. you know, depending on your industry and what your market is. Uh, I mean, those people could be very far, you know, I remember, in, in, I mean, I've, I've done sales for different employers in my, in my history, but the geography has always been, it's, you know, traveling around yeah. in a car. If right. you're, if you're selling really big things, you might be flying around to visit people. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. And you know, look at the cost of putting someone on the road, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, conservative salary plus T and E plus healthcare, you'd have six figures in a person and they don't sell a thing. Right. So, you know, they're, so the economics, again, the math must work first, and then you back into everything else from there. So speaking about math, because this is, I mean, this is why you first reached out to me, of course, is that you have a business and you were, you were trying to tackle this problem. How can I make the numbers work better for people? Because you saw that people were trying to do more with the same money and it costs go up. And, but there's also kind of a green slant on this too, which I, which I found attractive when, it, when I first met you, Chris. So why don't you tell people what it is that your, your business, well, who is it and what, what's your business and what, what do you do to help people out here? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and my business is called Exhibits Hub. And l- let me back into the thought process behind it. And um, I'm hopeful that it'll revolutionize and make exhibiting more affordable for 50% of the companies that don't exhibit, right? Mm. And, 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 you know, we talked about this before going in the air that timing is everything. And, you know, I've been thinking a long time about, and, and part of this is just based on, you know, I was, I've been selling exhibits and promotions for three decades, right? And they're expensive and it's highly competitive. Um, you speculate a lot from the exhibit company perspective. Buyers, um, you know, are paying a lot for capital equipment, essentially, which is the exhibit. They buy it and they may use it couple times a year, they may use it a hundred times a year. It just depends. But what I started to see is that you walk into most exhibit firms in, in any, anywhere around the world, except maybe in Europe where it's more, more of a build and burn mentality. Um, there's, there's hundreds of exhibits that sit idle months of the year. Hmm. And the irony is that, that, you know, they sit idle, but it's costing money for them to sit because the owner's paying them to store them. And then when the time comes around to, to, to use it again, they have to refurb it, they pull it out, check it, be sure it's ready to go. They stage it, right? And they ship it to the show and, and the, the cycle occurs like that. So, so park that a moment in your mind. So eight years ago, Airbnb launched. And it's been called the stupidest, smartest idea out there. Who would have thought that people would be willing to make available their home for strangers to come in and use, right? Well, they started out at two entrepreneurs, uh, Silicon Valley, trade shows in town, hotel rooms are out, are sky high. And they thought, you know, we can't meet our rent this month. We're going to start, at, you know what, why don't we do an air bed B&B company where, you know, you can stay in my apartment, I'll make it available. We'll get some air beds from Walmart, blow them up, put a little mint on the pillow and, <laughs> and you're, in, 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 you're in air bed B&B, right? So they started the business, didn't take off. Well, guess what? Four years later, you know, they, they started to grow and, and that company's Airbnb today, right? And would you know, think about it this way. 
they are the single largest hotel chain in the world and they don't touch a bar of soap. That's right. So you think, see, so you look at that. And then I looked at, you know, Uber and, and the ride sharing going with Lyft. And then you look at WeWork with, with sharing. And then, and then you look at, uh, you know, just the, 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 sh- the consumer shift to acceptability of sharing. So it occurred to me, uh, and it hasn't really caught on yet. It's starting to in the B2B area, business to business. Because it's one thing to, to rent a hotel room. It's another thing to, to, to borrow, in my world, an exhibit that someone else owns, right? But I thought if I could challenge the way people think and make it more affordable and put to use exhibits that otherwise sit idle and, and also uh, avoid have all those natural resources, most cases trees and so forth, being cut down, um, you know, there's an opportunity there to create more value for the marketplace and to be able to do something good for the economy for or for the ecology for a change, you know, make it a, more of a green uh, opportunity. So, uh, so I put together a business plan, approached a, a good friend who, who owns a major exhibit firm, uh, and said, "Look, this runs counter to what you're doing, but would you be willing to invest in this idea?" And he said, "Okay, well, here's ten thousand dollars. Go and do a market test." So, I went door to door, put my sales hat on. Uh, wasn't a trade show for what I was doing um, and went to some of the top exhibit firms in North America and said, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about. What do you guys think? Heard a lot of no's, a lot of rejection and heard some yeses. So we built a little mini website uh, precursor to what I have now. And I have the next generation launching tomorrow. Um, and I was able to knit together initially uh, uh, some believers um, that said, Hey, I'm in, you know, I will put, inventory that is idle on your site. And I said, I don't want just any inventory. I want the best inventory because I want to curate the site. I don't want to be a junkyard. I want to be a boutique, right? So, so anyway, the, 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 I launched the business in February after a year of, of development. Um, and it's moving along right now. We're, we're adding complimentary service companies. So, for example, when you go to my site, like Airbnb, it's inspired like that, where you go up, you pick the city you're doing a show, you pick the type of size of exhibit, you pick um, your budget, and the algorithm on the back end of the system will bring forward exhibits that are available in that market, so you don't have to ship anything anywhere. It's there in that market, and it will be rebranded for you locally by that exhibit firm. It doesn't leave the hands of the firm, right? So, what that does for the user is turnkey all-inclusive pricing. So you have to guess what it's going to cost you to exhibit. So if you're in Chicago, you're doing a show in New York, you pick your exhibit, you work directly with that exhibit firm. They'll rebrand it like they would for any client. They're going to protect that exhibit because guess what? That exhibit they're, they're making available to you is their client's exhibit. Right. So there it's is that. Kept, kept it, safe and tidy it, to go back exactly, into storage. Exactly. So the, what that does for the exhibitor is they get, they get a, a better product. It's custom. It's been rebranded. It's on demand. It's ready when you walk in because the exhibit firm handles all that for you. For the exhibit firm, it's a new customer they otherwise wouldn't have, right? It's yeah. the the and 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 part of the cool thing of the model is that the owner of that exhibit revenue shares. So instead of paying to have that exhibit sit in a warehouse, guess what? Now you can make some money mm. from that exhibit when it is being used. Now you know obviously there's the question: of What if it gets damaged? We have protection, right? We, th- those are the built-in safety nets. So that everyone that participates is protected um, through 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 the through the use agreement we have in place. So so 
Right. And, so, and, and so, so the goal here is number one, the big companies or the bigger firms that have the exhibits get to reduce cost a bit by generating a bit of revenue. Correct. And, and people who maybe have been kept out because of the big investment price tag now have an, uh, a little bit of a cheaper opportunity to, to get into this. Exactly. Exactly. And they don't have to, you know, think about it. I mean, ownership is, is unfortunately a bad word anymore. Think about it. What, you know, people don't want to own cars. I mean, what, what do you want to own? It depreciates so many of you, you, you know, you want to own your home, hopefully, right? But my point being that an exhibit never, you don't make money on exhibits when you buy them, right? Well, this is a, a bit run smack against that thought con- that thought process. So if you are building an exhibit, that's fine. If you have use for it, but you may invest more knowing that it has future ability to, to be used by others, right? So it, it's it, it, it so the ecosystem all all is able to benefit from this. The show organizer is able to attract more exhibitors because it's more affordable. The exhibitors can come in and be able to afford it, whereas in the past maybe they couldn't. And the supply chain all benefit from a new customer that otherwise they wouldn't. Best yet, we're not tearing down trees. We're not destroying things. We you know and 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 there's a fantastic book that sort of brings us into focus, and it's called the Donut Economy. And this idea that we need to be thinking regeneration of everything we do. You know, we are basically a consume, throwaway society, whereas if we can consume, regenerate, and reconsume, mm. it's a smarter way to live, right? So I'm not here to dictate. I'm not here to, but that's the vision of, of the business. And, uh, um, yeah, and, and so far, you know, the, market, the market's been very receptive. But, like, as you know, as an entrepreneur, every, day's, every day I'm peeling potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. your vision appealed to me, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. And so, so there's been uptake though. You, you're, you're getting some of these deals done. People are using other people's exhibits. Yeah, absolutely. We had, interestingly awesome. enough, uh, but you know, we know as entrepreneurs, we're always iterating and uh, case in point, my first order uh, came over was a very strange situation. One of my members couldn't handle this order. Um, or booking interest. This particular client had a show in Atlanta. She went up to the inventory and said, I don't like your Atlanta inventory. And I said, hmm, uh, would you be interested in something I have in Vegas? <laughs> so I took her to Vegas after having had a conversation with her. Lo and behold, I thought most people are going to basically reserve something that's local. They wanted an exhibit out of Las Vegas. So we shipped the exhibit from Las Vegas. It ran counter to my methodology, my thought process. And it was a very, in three weeks, she had an exhibit from the call to the time frame of it being delivered. Well, what, what's, I mean, what's the end price tag that someone would be spending on a really incredible, outrageous, large exhibit? I mean, these are the tens of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're creating a new exhibit, it's like building a home. You're spending 150 to $200 a square foot okay. by, by and large. So even, shipping, model, even yeah. shipping it from Vegas and back, we're, if it fits in one container or one trailer, um, we're, we're probably not adding more than a few thousand dollars to the overall tag. Well, you might be surprised. I mean, a truck, a truck going from Vegas to Atlanta, uh, round trips probably in the neighborhood of 6,000 one way. So you're, you're talking about 12 grand and up, right? Depending on, you know, it's one truck or not. But, um, uh, so, so, you know, the, what I'm trying to do is create a model where the square foot cost is more in that $80 to $110 square foot all in. Mm. So you get the exhibit and the services 
in that neighborhood, right? There's always exceptions. I have some exhibits that are very high end that are more aspirational, but probably the sweet spots in that, in that, you know, hundred dollars a square foot, $120 a square foot. So if you're doing a, a 10 by 10, let's just use the easy map. It's a hundred, hundred square feet. You know, you, you would take that, that and you cost you around $10,000 to do a show roughly, you know, for but 10 by 10. With a professional appearance, not the homemade look. That's right. I mean, if you're going with a pop-up, you know, yeah. Yeah. no, nothing against pop-ups. They have their place and that market is a huge market, but that's not the market I play in. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that uh, that's more of a commodity market, right? So Chris, if people want to go check out the website, would you give us the URL once again? And maybe uh, if there's any other way people can reach out and contact you if they want to learn more about trade shows and how you can help. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, it's uh, exhibitshub.com. And uh, you know, I, uh, I'm reachable anytime. I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a founder, I'm a business owner operator, you know, what are ours, right? We're, we're always on call. I can put MD next to my Chris, name, right? Yeah. Chris, I tell people that once they become a business owner or when, if once they start a business, they only have to work half days and it's up to them which 12 hours that's going to be. <laughs> it's usually it's usually not just 12 hours, is it? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, look, I think, you know, I, I am at your service. You know, anybody that wants to just talk about trade shows, it's what I love. I'm, I, I, you know, I am a strong believer I spent my career building companies um, that, you know, programs for companies to succeed in shows. So no questions too small. Give me a holler. Uh, and I think in the notes, there'll be my email address. So feel free to reach out. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much. I know uh, we, I learned a lot and I think everyone else did too. And uh, just a reminder to everyone out there, if you watch this uh, YouTube channel and you want to hear more from me, stories, opinions, ideas, et cetera, you should be on my email list um, which you can find over at davidcbarnett.com. And Chris, thank you once again. And uh, yeah, we'll my pleasure. see you later. Yes, sir. Thanks, pal.